We've had much gospel truth already this morning, haven't we? And the songs we've sung about who God is and what he's done and the baptism and what you just heard. My heart is already full, Gateway family, of just thinking about what the Lord has done for us. Well, if you're visiting Gateway, we're working slowly through the book of Ephesians. And we're still in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5. So if you find Ephesians chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app, and if you were not here last week, we're in the middle of a text about marriage. Paul is, after showing us who we are in Christ, is showing us how we live for God. He now comes to some very practical application of how we do that in the context of marriage. And so last week was the foundation. And last week we saw that at the core, our marriages are not primarily about us. God didn't give us marriage to make us happy, to actualize our dreams, to have our needs met. God primarily gave us marriage to show us the relationship between Christ and the church. Remember from last week, God made marriage. It was the first institution he established. But in heaven, there will no longer be marriage because the purpose for which he gave it is something that will no longer be needed in heaven because we will then see Christ for who he is. We will see how he relates to us, his bride. And so marriage is given primarily to show us, to help us understand the relationship of Christ and his church. I alluded to it last week. That means we're not free to design our marriages based on what our culture says we should do. We're not free to design our marriages based on what makes us feel good or serves us the best or what our friends are doing. We need to order our homes according to the way God has instructed us because he has a purpose for it, and the way we order it determines whether or not we can fulfill that purpose that he's given to us, to show the relationship of Christ and the church. With that in view, friends, we come today as we look at this text to the role of husbands. What is the role of the husband in showing the relationship of Christ and the church? So first of all, if you're a married man, this is obviously very, very applicable to you today because so much is at stake in how you lead your family. But if you're a married woman, much is at stake for you as well to understand what your husband's God-given role is so you understand what your role is, so you understand how to pray for him and even encourage him as he pursues these things. This is relevant as well if you're a parent because you have a responsibility to shape your kids' understanding what God is calling them to be and to do in life. And so are you shaping your young boys to be understanding what their God-given role in marriage will be and shaping your young women to understand how they're to relate in marriage as well? But I want to say a word to, to our single friends, particularly our young students, our high school students, our college students. Though marriage may be a while out, while out for you, this is still very relevant for you because how you date will set a, a precedent, a pattern of what's going to come in marriage. And this will shape your understanding of what you're looking for in a spouse. So young men, this is shaping you into what you're going to be so that you're able to be who God's called you to be. And ladies, though this is about men today, this will help you understand what you're looking for in a godly husband. The bottom line, friends, this is relevant for every single one of us, especially for the fact that we all know men we need to be praying for in these roles. So as we come today, we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Last week we saw from the text that God created marriage to help us understand the relationship of Christ and the church. Today we're going to look at the role of husbands. So as we look at these 12 verses again today, I want to ask you to be looking for what is the command given to husbands over and over and over again in this text. Because there's something that's repeated over and over in this text that's going to give us a huge insight into how the husband fulfills his mission in this in showing the relationship of Christ and the church. So as we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read verses 22 through 33, the whole text, again, today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, that the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you've given us your word, that your word is living and is active. God, I pray today that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to understand the truth of your word. Where I know there's people in all different walks of life right now, in all different stages of life. Single people, married people, divorced people, people longing to be married, people who may have the calling to singleness, all different backgrounds. But God, we trust that your Holy Spirit will come and will make application of this text to every single one of us for the situation we're in so that we might glorify you and live out our calling the way you've asked us to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in the verses that precede what we start today, there's four verses that came right before this. And that was the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we see what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we saw that one of those applications, one of the fruit, if you will, of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we serve one another. We consider others better than ourselves. Paul now applies that to marriage. He's going to spend 12 verses showing us how husbands and wives serve one another but serve one another in different ways. The way a husband serves his wife is different than the way the wife serves the husband. And so Paul's going to lay out for us in these 12 verses how the husband fulfills his God-given role and how the wife fulfills her God-given role. Now, friends, what is laid out in these texts that we just read is incredibly countercultural. It was incredibly countercultural when Paul wrote this. Paul wrote this in a day where there was, you might want to call it patriarchal views, to where the man was in charge and the women just had to get in line. Whatever he said went, and the women were almost even seen as property. What he lays out here is incredibly countercultural to the, to the Greek and Roman society of the day. But what he lays out here is incredibly countercultural to today as well. Because what you typically see in homes is one of two extremes today. Either the man who is just the domineering one, who just barks orders and everyone has to get in line, or the man who's incredibly passive and lets his wife lead and everything, and he kind of does his own thing. Regardless of which extreme it is, what Paul lays out is incredibly countercultural to either of those approaches towards marriage. He's going to correct either of those approaches to help us see the God-given role of the husband in marriage. So what I want you to see from the text this morning is this. Our main idea is simply this. Husbands have a God-given responsibility to model Christ by loving their wives through humble leadership. Now, it's a mouthful this morning, but there's a lot in these verses for husbands. Husbands have a God-given responsibility. This is not something that we've made up, not something we've earned. It's something that God has entrusted to us. If you're a husband, God has entrusted this responsibility to you. And that is the ultimate responsibility. You are to model Christ. You're to look like Christ in your home. And you do that by the way you love your wife. And not just in any way you choose, you love your wife through humble leadership. God's plan for husbands in the home is to fulfill their responsibility, their calling to love their wives with a humble leadership. Because this is absolutely astounding, 
what has been entrusted to the husband in a relationship. This is absolutely sobering, the responsibility that we will bear as husbands before the Lord. And we will give an account for one day how we fulfill this responsibility, this stewardship, if you will, that God has given to husbands. So I want you to see this in our text this morning. I want you to see, first of all, this is a God-given responsibility. Go to verse 23 in our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. I want us to notice something here because this gets misunderstood so often. There is no command in this verse right here. There's no command that says, husbands, go become the head. Notice the word here is is. The husband is. That means there's a structure that God has established. God has ordained this role here. And what is the role is to be the, the head. What does it mean to be the head? It means to be the leader. Now, there's a lot of people today who try to take this word for head and make it say anything besides leader. But you can't do it. At the time, this word was clearly understood to be a leader. It was how it was used in the culture at the time. It was how it was used even in anatomy to describe the head, how it leads the body and what it does. It's how it's used to describe Christ. In this verse, or even back in chapter 1, when Christ is the head of the church, it's describing a position of leadership. It's a position of leadership and responsibility entrusted to the husband. But men, I want to make sure we get this right. There's a big difference here. This is not taking charge. This is taking responsibility. There's a big difference in taking charge and taking responsibility. This is a God-given responsibility. Perhaps you want to think of it as a delegated authority. It's an authority given by God, not to use for whatever we want to use to make our lives easier. It's an authority given by God to accomplish His purpose. That means it's a leadership to be used in one way, and our text shows it's a leadership that's to model Christ. Look back at this. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, in the same way, following the pattern of how Christ is the head of the church. Glance down at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We love our wives by modeling what Christ has done for the church. Verses 29 and 30. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Notice this there, even as, as, just as. Our calling as husbands, our responsibility is to model Christ. Everything a husband does for his wife or his family is to be a picture of what Christ does for the church. Men, realize this. God wants your wife to better understand who he is by watching you. Men, God wants your kids to better understand who he is by watching you. He wants others in your life group, other believers in your life, to understand who he is by watching how you treat your wife. He wants, to, he wants the lost around you who do not know Jesus to better understand his love for his people by watching you. Friends, that is sobering. Headship is not, I'm in charge, do what I say. Headship is God calling us to model how Christ treats the church. And how do we model Christ in this way? We model in the way that we love. Again, I mentioned earlier that there's no command here to be the head. That's the structure God has ordained. But notice what the command, if, if a man is the head, as God's ordained, what is the command he's given? We'll look back again, verse 25. Look at the commands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. Remember we said before that's to glue together. Hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Or 
Verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So often men fixate on I'm the head. That's not the emphasis of this text. The headship is just the position God's put you in. The command that we need to be focusing in on is this. Love, love, give. Sanctify, cleanse, wash. Love, love, nourish, cherish, hold fast, love. That's the focus of this text. And all those friends are present tense verbs. That doesn't mean we can say, well, I love my wife and I took her on that trip last year. Or I love my wife because I was nice to her three weeks ago. This is to be the ongoing, everyday pattern that we'll give an account to God for of how we day by day have loved, loved, given, sanctified, cleansed, washed, loved, loved, nourished, cherished, held fast, and loved our wives. Let me point out as well, friends, all those commands to us I just read, they're unconditional. It doesn't say love if your wife cooked what you want her to cook. It doesn't say hold fast to her if she cleaned up after you. It doesn't have any condition. It says our job is to love, love, give, sanctify, cleanse, wash, love, love, nourish, cherish, hold fast, and still love again. That means headship is not taking charge. It's not asserting I'm the head, do what I say. It's not giving orders. It's not insisting on our way. Friends, if we're demanding of our wives to do what we want them to do, to raise the kids so we can have our vacations, our trips, our sports, our time on our video games, whatever else, to humor everyone. That's not being headship. That's being sinful jerks. That's not what God's called us to do. That's not what headship is all about. Husbands have a God-given responsibility to model Christ in the way they day by day love their wives. Now, friends, what does it mean to love? Think way back to January when we started Chapter 5 of Ephesians. Yes, we've been in Chapter 5 since January. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, we saw the command at the very outset on this that we were to be imitators of God and to walk in love. We're to live a lifestyle of love. Well, back in January, I defined love for you, but that was a long time ago, so let me redefine love for you in the same way we did in January. Love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. Love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. In our culture, we've relegated love to just feelings. I fall in love, I fall out of love. I fall in love, I fall out of love. That's not how love is portrayed in the Bible. In the Bible, love is a choice we make. It's intentionality to give of ourselves for the good of another. Remember, way back to January 6th, we reviewed Ephesians 1, 3, 3 that morning, and we walked through the first three chapters of Ephesians and saw all the ways that God had loved us. If you remember when we did that, we saw that it was a choice God had made. If you look at Ephesians 1 through 3, you see things like God initiating Pursuing us, revealing himself to us, being active, choosing us, electing us. All these things, you see God's intentionality in choosing to love us. You see God choosing to give. You see words throughout Ephesians 1 through 3 of God being giving and generous and lavish and vast. But he was giving of himself. We see throughout Ephesians 1 through 3 the costliness of God giving of himself for our good. And the good that's laid out for us in Ephesians 1 through 3 is we have mercy, we have forgiveness, we have hope, we've been empowered to serve, we have peace, we have security, we have an identity in Christ because God chose to give of himself in a very costly way for our good. Love is a choice we make to give of ourselves for the good of another. And by that, friends, husbands, we have a responsibility as the heads of our families to model Christ for all to see, to make a choice to give of ourselves for the good of our wives. And what is the good that we're trying to see accomplished in our li- in our wife's life? We'll look back at verses 25 to 27 of Ephesians 5 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That, here's the goal, that husbands are pursuing, that Christ is pursuing with his church, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Friends, our primary job is to love our wives in such a way as to lead her to Christ's likeness, to lead her to understand who she is in God, to understand her identity in Christ, that she is loved by God and a precious child of God. Our job is to help her understand who she is in Christ. There's an author I really like. His name is Brian Chappell. He's a pastor, a theologian, a writer. And he said this. He says, The exercise of biblical headship should enable a wife to know the fullness of God's grace in her life. The exercise of biblical headship should enable a wife to know the fullness of God's grace in her life. Men, if we are being the husbands we're supposed to be, our wives should be experiencing the fullness of God's grace in her life because we are pointing her to that, because we are loving her like Christ loved the church, because we are helping her know the riches of God's love for her and God's plan for her life. We will be affirming her and who she is in Christ, affirming her worth to God and to us, helping her grow through the Word of God. The same guy, Brian Chappell, then asked a really sobering question. He he asked us to think about the words we say and the attitude towards our wives. And he says this, are we robbing from our wives their God-given value or are we affirming it? Are we robbing from our wives their God-given value or are we affirming it? And the things we ask our wives to do and the way we lead our family and how we spend our time and what we do around the house and all these things, are we affirming her God-given value or are we robbing her from it? And the way we lead and the statements we make and the requests we make and the things we ask of them. We have a God-given responsibility to model Christ by loving our wives through leading them. Leading them to godliness, leading them to know Christ more, leading them to embrace who they are in Christ. And friends, can I remind us that that takes intentionality? We're not going to be able to lead our wives to Christ's likeness while we're playing on, on our phones. We're not going to be able to lead our wives to Christ's likeness while we're engrossed in our sports, while we're engrossed in our video games or off on our little adventures or whatever we're doing. Not that those things are inherently bad, but are we putting those down and giving intentional time to our wives to help them become who God has called them to be? We have a responsibility before God to model Christ by loving them through leading them. But it requires leading them with the right attitude as well. It has to be done with humility. This has to be humble leadership, not lording over them. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's, no, there's a word here that says should. A husband should love his wife. There's a moral obligation before God, but there's a command that goes with this. The attitude is required by God as well. For No one ever hated his own flesh, this is verse 29, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Husbands have a responsibility before God to love their wives by leading them, but to lead them with this attitude of nourishing and cherishing. To cherish means with tender care. That means, husbands, you have a responsibility before God to be leading your wife to Christ's likeness, to understand who she is in Christ, but to do so with tenderness, with gentleness. That's the exact opposite of what the culture then and even now promoted. This is nothing domineering, nothing demanding. It's the exact opposite of being proud. What you see on the screen, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Paul addresses the issue of marriage there when he wrote to the people there as well. He said this, Husbands, love your wives, and notice the next line, do not be harsh with them. We say the husband has a headship in the home, and he's used that by loving his wife. There's no place for harshness in that. We cannot lead our wives to Christ's likeness if we're being critical, if we're being harsh, 
we're raising our voices, if we're tearing them down. That's the exact opposite of what God intended. We have a calling to nourish and to cherish. Yes, to lead our wives to Christ's likeness, but to do so with a heart that wants to nourish, a heart that wants to cherish, a heart that wants to love them with a tender affection. It's what I'm calling here humble leadership. So, men, I want to give you some homework this week from this point before we move on. I want you to meditate, to think deeply about two verses of Scripture. Ephesians 5.25, we've already looked at that, but Ephesians 5.25 again, we need to own this verse as husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, how do we do that? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I want you to see that one as well. And I want you to read these verses day by day together and look at this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Men, how do we have biblical headship in our home? How do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? We look at the example of Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve. We come into our homes with an attitude not of what my wife's going to do for me today, but what I can do to serve her, to point her to Christ, to affirm her God-given worth. Friends, do you realize how countercultural that is? God has placed us in this place of headship not for self-exaltation, not for self-ease to make our lives easier so we can do what we want to do, not for selfish gain, not so our careers can go take off. He's put us in this position for sacrificial service, for putting aside anything that hinders us from joyfully, humbly, nurturingly caring for our wives. We have a God-given responsibility to model Christ by loving our wives through humble leadership. Sound impossible? It is on our own strength. If it sounds out of reach, it is on our own strength. Friends, our sinful flesh does not want to pursue that. Our sinful tendencies want to be served. We don't want to serve. Our sinfulness wants to be served by our wives, by our kids, by those around us. But Christ turns that on us and says, no, go serve instead. And friends, we cannot accomplish this. We cannot begin to live this way with just white-knuckle determination. We can't just get up and be like, I'm going to serve my family better today and just try harder and it's going to happen. That's not going to change by just determination. The placement of this passage is so, so very significant. These commands to husbands come after first, only after we understand in chapters 1 through 3 who we are in Christ. This makes no sense apart from grounding in who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ and what Christ has done for us. This passage comes only then after chapters 4 and 5, where we're called to put off all the sins that hinder us. We're called to put off anger and jealousy and yelling. We're called to put off all selfishness, and we're to put off all those things and put on Christ's likeness. This text only comes after Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, what we're commanded here is not only doesn't make sense, but is impossible apart from a life that is rooted in understanding who we are in Christ, what Christ calls us to do in terms of pursuing holiness, and understanding that that can only be done when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, loving our wives like Christ loved the church is impossible if we don't understand God's grace, if we don't long for holiness in general in our life, if we don't seek to be filled. But friends, the good news is, when God calls us to do something, He gives grace to do it, and it's ours for the asking. If we will ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, if we will ask for grace to love our wives like Christ loved the church, God will give us the desire to do that. God will give us the wisdom we need to do that. He will give us the strength to fulfill our responsibility to love our wives through humble leadership. What God calls us to do, God gives grace to do. Now, the reality, friends, is I fall short in doing this, and you do as well. So what do we do? How do we move forward? How do we seek to better love our wives as Christ loved the church? Where do we start? Well, if you notice, Paul doesn't give us a checklist. 
kind of wish he did. I kind of get ticked off with Paul sometimes on these texts. I'm like, this would be really nice. To, okay, you love your wives by doing this, 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 this. You don't have to do this, but you have to do this, this, this. I mean, it would be really nice if he gave us another chapter or two here that explained for us exactly how this fleshes itself out in our home life. But he doesn't. Why? Because it may look a little bit different in each of our homes. There's not a formula that I can import that's going to work in my family, that's going to work in your family, that's going to work in your family. It's not going to be the same in every place because our wives' needs may be different and our personalities may be different. So he gives us a lot of flexibility to seek his will and grace for how we lead our families in this way. We can't export one formula to every household here. But though we can't export a formula, I think there's five things that every man in this room who's married can do and needs to do this, and then the God will apply it in the way he needs to. So let me give you five things, men. If where do we start if we need to grow in grace and loving our wives as Christ loved this church with humble leadership? Five things. Number one, men, we need to study the scriptures ourselves. It's got to start knowing the word of God. Look back at verse 26 in our text today. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Talked about this last week, the importance of the Word of God and washing is how the Holy Spirit, that's the imagery of the water there, the Holy Spirit opens up God's Word and washes us with it. Men, we cannot lead our wives, and we'll get to in a few weeks, our kids to a place that we ourselves are not at. We must be men of the Word who go into the Word of God, who study the Word of God, who read the Word of God, who memorize the Word of God, who think deeply about the Word of God, or we have no hope of leading our family there. Men, we have to start by studying Scripture ourselves. But number two... We must study our wives also. We must study our wives. I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This text really deserves a whole sermon, and maybe we'll do this one day. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Brothers, this to me is one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture. I mean that in all seriousness here. Do you see what God says? He said, first of all, live with your wives in an understanding way. The Greek there means with deep knowledge. That means you should be able to right now tell me what is your wife's greatest fears, her greatest hopes, her dreams for now, her dreams for five years from now. What is she concerned about in the kid's life? What is she concerned about in your life? What is she concerned about in her life? What is she, you know, we need to have deep knowledge of our wife's emotions and feelings and thoughts and where they are spiritually, to live with her with deep knowledge, showing honor to her, to see her as an heir of the grace of life. But notice this last phrase, so that your prayers are not hindered. Brothers, do you realize how serious this is? God says, I treat this covenant relationship you made with your wife so seriously that if you do not seek to understand your wife and how she works, if you do not seek to treat her with honor, if you do not seek to see her as an heir of the grace of life, then I'm going to ignore all of your prayers. Your prayers are pointless, is what God's saying, if you don't seek to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Is it any wonder, men, why so many men's prayers are ineffective? Why so much even good ministry pursuits just go flat on their face? Why so much things we want to see happen don't happen? Because God's saying, you're ignoring the highest covenant relationship on earth I've given to you to love your wife as Christ of the church. You're not showing honor to her. You're not seeking to know her. You're off trying to know all these other hobbies and sports, but you're not trying to know her with deep knowledge. He says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers if you don't seek to live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to her as well. So we study the scriptures and we study our wives. That's where we start. What else do we do? Number three, we need to be praying for our wives. Friends, we can't change their heart just as they can't change our heart, just as I can't change your heart and you can't change mine. Only God can change hearts. And so the best thing you and I as husbands can do for our wives is to pray for them, to pray much for them, to plead much for them before the throne of grace for God's work in their lives. So we study scriptures 
We study our wives. We pray for them. And number four, we ask for wisdom. Friends, men and women are different. We don't understand each other a lot of times, do we? God, by his good design, has wired us very differently. And so we need wisdom from above to know how to study our wives. Wisdom from above to know how to shepherd our families well. I love what it says in James chapter 1, verse 5. It's in the context of trials, but I believe it has application for us here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Friends, if you're at a place going, you know, I have really stunk up, love my wife as Christ, love the church, well, go back to the scriptures. Start studying your wife. Start praying for her regularly. But then start saying, Lord, I'm falling short in this. I don't know what to do. And God goes, okay, I know you don't know what to do, but I'll give you the wisdom you need. We seek wisdom. We seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God has promised to give us those things. And number five, act on it. Just act on it. Brothers, love is a choice we make to give ourselves for the good of another. We can sit by passively all day long, but if we're not acting on the wisdom God gives us, acting on what Scripture has revealed to us, acting on the direction the Lord provides for us as we study our wives and study the Scriptures, it's not love. Love requires action. It is intentional. It is demonstrated in actions. So, brothers, we need to study Scripture. We need to study our wives. We need to pray for our wives. We need to ask God for wisdom of how to shepherd our wives well. And then we need to act on what the Lord shows us. We have a God-given responsibility to model Christ by loving our wives through humble leadership. So to give us some questions to think about. First of all, to the, to the married men in the room. Actually, let me start with the unmarried men. We'll start with you guys. If you're not married yet and you want to get married, younger brothers, are you growing in these things? Are you learning now how to pursue Christ? If you're not pursuing Christ now, when you say, I do, you're not going to start pursuing Christ once you get to the wedding day. Are you actively pursuing Christ now, trying to know his word, trying to develop a heart to serve others and not to be served? Are you growing in a heart for holiness as well? And to the young men as well, let me get really direct on this. You need to be walking in holiness of what you look at online. You cannot love your wife as Christ of the church if you're looking at pornography and indulging your sexual fantasies with that. That's the, the exact opposite of what Christ has caused to pursue holiness hard now so you're able to serve your wife when you're married. How about to the parents in the room? Are we nurturing these qualities in our kids? Are we helping our kids, particularly our boys, understand their calling to serve, their calling to lay down their life for the good of others? Are we helping our young girls value these qualities in men and help them to pursue that? How about to the unmarried ladies in the room who want to get married? Are you praying for your future husband already? Praying that God, even now as a single man, will be developing within him this, this desire for holiness, this desire to serve. But to the married men, which has been a lot of the focus of this text, I want to ask you, are you more humble towards your wife today than you were when you first got married? Are you more humble towards her than when you first got married? Is your wife godlier now than when you got married? Is she pursuing Christ's likeness because you have been gently, tenderly shepherding her? I know that she'll have to give an account. You can't make her. Only God can change hearts. But have you been striving to help her with tenderness and gentleness and love and Christ-like love grow in Christ's likeness? And then let me ask you this. Is, are your comments to your guy friends and is your attitude towards your wife reflect the attitude of Christ to his church? Is your attitude towards your wife and even when the comments you make when you're around your guy friends, does it reflect how Christ views his church? It's not in our screen, but I want to read you a verse from Zephaniah. This is how God talks about his church, his people. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He, God, will rejoice over you with gladness. 
He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What does Christ do? How does he talk about his church? He rejoices over his church. He quiets his church with his love. He exults over his church with loud singing. Men are the way we talk about our wives when they're not around or when they are around, holding them up in the same way that Christ holds up his church. And friends, to everyone, are you enjoying Christ's love for you? Remember, marriage is not primarily about us. This relationship of husbands and wives is to help all of us understand this glorious relationship of Christ and his church. So for all of us, regardless of our marital status, regardless of where we are, are we experiencing more and more Christ's love for us? Are we seeing his nurturing of us? Are we seeing him growing us in godliness? And are we letting him wash us with his word? There's much for us to chew on then, but God gives much grace in the process. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your word when it convicts us. We're thankful for your word when it encourages us. We're thankful for your word when it gives us even new directions of how we need to seek to live. And Lord, I know in my own life I fall short in shepherding my family in the ways I should. Lord, I know we all would admit to that. So Lord, we ask for much grace. I pray for myself and particularly for the, the other husbands in this room. God, that you would give us grace upon grace upon grace to do what we can never do in our own flesh, to do what we can never do in our own strength. That's to love our wives as Christ loved the church. God, I pray that today and all this week that you might reveal to us areas of selfishness in our lives to where we're walking into our homes wanting to be served instead of serving, when we're wanting to make demands on our wives to make our lives easier instead of trying to sanctify them. God, would you reveal to us in your kindness to us areas where we need to grow, God, that you would not leave us where we are in our sin. You might grow us in godliness so that we might be men of God who can picture before our wives, before our kids, before our friends, before believers, before the lost, the relationship of Christ in the church. Lord, we ask for much grace for that. And Lord, I pray for all the families of Gateway. Lord, I pray for the the ladies here who are not in a home to where that's being done. God, that you would encourage them this day, that they would understand your love for them, and they might renew a commitment to pray for their husbands so that their homes can be what you designed for them to be. Give them much grace in the days that they're walking through. But I want to pray for our young people, our high schoolers and college students as they're in dating relationships or pursuing that. And God, you free them from the, the trappings of what the world says relationships are all to be about. And God, they would rather pursue other individuals who love Jesus deeply, who want to have home lives that will model Christ in the church to make a difference in this world. I pray you give them much, much wisdom. I pray you give them much, much holiness and desire for it. Again, my heart's just heavy because I know that so many single and married men's lives have been wrecked with pornography and sexual sin that just has destroyed their ability to even understand their their calling to love their wives in a sacrificial, self-dying way. God, I pray even this week you might free some of those brothers from the strings that just entangle them. Father, we pray for all of us at Gateway. Whether we're married, single, younger, older, Father, I pray that we'd ultimately see your love for us. Because God, that's what it's about. That regardless of how healthy our marriages are, regardless of how healthy our home life is, regardless of whether or not we're where we want to be, God, we would be secure in knowing that we are loved by you and that you rejoice over us with loud singing. God, not because of anything that we've done. As we sang earlier, we're so unworthy. We have to realize you, the creator, have smiled upon us and you've chosen to love us with a self-sacrificing type of love. God, I pray we'd experience your love over us I knew this week. 
We find new joys, new comfort in that, new strength in that. To whatever place in life we are, to be able to pursue our God-given callings. Because we know that we are in Christ. And what can anyone else do to us? I know there's been much heaviness in what we think about from this text. But we're thankful for your grace. We get to celebrate your grace. For those who have been shepherding their families well, I pray you would encourage them today. It is not about them, but it's about you and that you're doing a beautiful picture to help others see. And for those who are struggling to do this, or perhaps have never stepped out to lead their families away, God, would you give grace upon grace upon grace to take that first step this week, even just to get into the Word, or just to even to begin to study their wives, or even to begin to ask questions. And I pray, God, where the enemy has created division and fractions and hurt, that, God, you, the healer, would bring healing. That families would come back together, families would be strengthened, and families would be changed for generations to come because of the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit and your grace at work in our lives. So we'll do the impossible. Transform us as your Holy Spirit fills us, and we will give you the praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?